Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Six seconds to go. Comes in the Tucker. Ewing sets a screen. The shot is off. Loose ball. Ewing goes up. The basket counts. Episode 17, I'm your host, Shwini as always, and I am joined by not a first-time, but first-time-in-a-long-time guest. His name is Jordan Cohen. Hey, Sean, how's him. it going? Uh, I'm good, man. Uh, I was going to say, you can find him on Twitter at sports underscore by underscore stats. Uh, doesn't tweet that much about basketball nowadays, mostly just random tweets about uh, women's soccer teams that I have no, like, it's just players I don't know at all. And then it'll be like, let's go spirit. And I'm like, I have no fucking idea what you're talking <laughs> about right now. Um, but also a lot of Chelsea stuff. Uh, and during the Cavs season, you will see Cavs tweets there. Uh, but I did want to have you on, mostly, to talk a little bit about the Cavs. Cleveland Cavaliers, who I think are a team of great interest. But before we get started, I do have to make an announcement that Strickland has Patreon. You can subscribe to it. There's a number of tiers. There's a $6 tier that gets you access to Pot Strickland every Friday that I do with Prez. You also get access to the Strickland mailbag, the newly revamped Strickland mailbag, I should add, that will be hosted by one Andrew Steele. You also get access to the Strickland Discord, where the conversation about the Knicks and basketball never stops, especially now. As we're getting into the uh, home stretch, entering draft season, there's further tiers. There's a nine dollar tier that gets you access to this pod right here, solo pod, trick and roll that I do every week. You also get access to wonderful weekly articles by Jack Huntley and Matthew Miranda, two of the best Knicks and basketball writers in the business. There's further tiers even beyond that. There's a fifteen dollar tier, thirty dollar tier, fifty dollar tier, and a hundred dollar tier. You will get access to a variety of benefits like merchandise discounts live watch parties, listening in on pod recordings, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours truly. If you choose to subscribe, thank you so much. And even if you don't, thank you anyway, because none of this would be possible without it, without you. So without further ado, let's get started. Um, look, Jordan, you're here to talk a little bit about the Cleveland Cavaliers, who had a very weird season. Um, I think they started off pretty slow, then Colin Sexton gets hurt. I think after, what was it, 11 games he played this year? I don't know if he barely played. Um, and then they just went on a fucking tear. Uh, it looked like almost dead certain they're going to make the playoffs. And then everybody on the team got injured. Uh, <laughs> like, literally everybody on the team other than Darius Harlan got injured. And they end up, you know, dropping into the play-in. They lose to Brooklyn, and then they lose to Atlanta. I don't think it's... I, I think for the most part... Because of the injuries, uh, everybody just kind of like understood what happened, and I don't. 
it, it feels like everybody's like that that middle chunk of the season. I mean, it was beyond the middle. It was like you know, fifty games. Where yeah. quite honestly, I thought the Cavs looked like a top five team in the East. Uh, I feel like everybody understands that's more the true representation of the team. Or am I off on that? Or like, were people like, well, the injuries revealed these fucking, you know, the Achilles heel of this team. From the outside looking in, it feels like there's kind of an understanding of like, okay, look, this is what happened. This team's in good, in good shape. Yeah, I think, so some of the quote-unquote analytics crowd, and I, I say quote-unquote because there's like a group that will throw out like analytical trites and say, oh, well, you know, it turns out that a team's record over an 82-game season tends to be about how good the team is. And it's like, well, yeah. But it, I, I, I think that the predictive value of that in this case is uh, strange. Because, so I actually think the last time I was on was right after Sexton got hurt. And, like, that first, those first, like... Didn't we, months, weren't we both, like, I think this is actually going to be fine? Yeah, yeah, it was like the first month of the season, and we just did not look good, and then Sexton gets hurt, and then within about a week, Darius Garland just becomes a all-star level point guard, uh, like, like, pretty instantaneously, and so there's from about, like, I think it's like game 14 through game 50 or so, where you get Ricky Rubio, Darius Garland, and Evan Evan Mobley and Jared Allen, all healthy. And, like, Rubio is a weird one to throw in there because he gets hurt about halfway through the year and then never plays again for the Cavs. But, like, when he was playing, I mean, the Cavs' defense was just incredible. I mean, Rubio, Garland, and Mobley, and the stat may not be 100% right, but if I recall correctly, they had, like, a 95 defensive rating, like, which is just, I mean – Kind of crazy for a rookie, a point guard who supposedly isn't good at defense, and Ricky Rubio. But I think that that also shows that Garland really improved on defense. And when those two, Mobley and Allen, were playing, the Cavs played like this super aggressive perimeter defense. And it didn't matter because even if your guards and Laurie Markinen, who evidently can play small forward, um, if they got beat, Allen and Mobley covered. And then Rubio gets hurt. The Cavs still look okay. Like Lamar Stevens starts playing more than he's really good defensively. Uh, Okoro plays some more and he's good. And then Jared Allen gets hurt. And when Jared Allen gets hurt, you start to see the cracks and then Mobley gets hurt. And so then, then the team just fell apart and even when Mobley comes back and then Allen comes back, I think like right before the play-in start. Well, I think I think didn't Allen come back? I think he came back for for the play-in. Yeah, for the, the Atlanta game. game. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, and he looked good in that game too. But yeah. it was just one of those things where you they could never really get it going back. And like there was Kevin Love was great coming off the bench, and there were some games towards the end where he was just playing like. 35 minutes a night and it just <laughs> he can't, he's he he looked much better this was his best year since lebron left but it, he can't do that yeah and he was he was it, so, and to your point like i'm just looking at it right now he averaged 22 and a half minutes per game so like yeah 
he probably better. He also played seventy four games, which is probably his high in like three years. Yeah, yeah, no, and I mean, he would like what I will say about JV Bickerstaff, and like this is something that a lot of like Kelsey Russo at the Athletic wrote about a bunch this year that he's kind of nuts. Like he just comes up with ideas and just will try them. And like Kevin Love basically playing is a wing off the bench more often than not was like a crazy idea that actually kind of worked again, because he would play with Allen and or Mobley who would cover for him. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was a good year. I, I am the, the big issue. And I think we can talk about all of it, but the big issue is the offense. Like even pre-injury, we just were not like, we just weren't scoring too much. Like I think our best offensive lineup was something like Garland, Markinen, and maybe Mobley offensively. And it, they still weren't or Garland, Mobley and Love, some combo like that. And they just were not scoring at kind of the level you'd want. Yeah, I mean, I think... So, like, this is where they're... Like, I I would say looking at the team just from the very broad, broadly, right? I'm not saying that there's not nuance to be had here. But it's like Garland, Mobley, Allen are the three guys that have established themselves at a level where you're like, they matter. Like, they are all parts of the future, very, like, central parts of the future. And, you know, can Okoro get to that level? Maybe, yeah. I mean, sure, why not? I'm not his biggest fan. I feel like in the playing games especially, you could just see that, man, his offense has so far to go. Because Brooklyn literally... Neither team defended I mean, him. Yeah, they just didn't defend him. They were like, yeah, no, you can just keep fucking shooting. We don't care. And, like, like I think he made one... I, he made a three, I think, at some point. And I remember it was, like, the next time down the floor, they still were just like, no, that's fine. Like, you could continue to have open threes. And it wasn't like they were leaving him open and rotating out to him to contest. They were just leaving him open and were like, okay. Let's. Yep. Yeah, they didn't rotate. No, 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 yeah. no. They did, and I mean that was something we started to see towards the end of the year too. Is that teams like it wasn't just Okoro, but like Stevens was another guy that teams just were like, okay, well, if the Cavs are going to just try to score points from kind of like the, like very high percentage shots, we're just not going to guard these guys that can't shoot. Yeah, and like, and I think that it's it's just like really. Because you have, and I think Mobley will eventually be able to shoot. Um, not, I, I don't, and I, honestly, I'll say this: like, I love Mobley, but I don't oh, really yeah. ever project him as being like a super awesome three point shooter. Like, which doesn't matter really. Like, if, if he's you know 34 percent with everything else he's giving you, you just take that. Um, but like, it just makes it so imperative then that those guys at the two and the three are really good three-point shooters. And also, like, I, I do think one thing that stood out, and I don't know how much of a concern this is, so I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. When Mobley and Allen had their injuries at various points, I think you really saw that, again, I, I didn't watch like every Cavs game or anything like that, but, like, 
it felt like you could then see, okay, as awesome as the defense was, let's stop pretending that like all of these guys are awesome defenders now. And like, like Garland, especially again, all-star level point guard play. So this is not exactly like some huge knock on him, but he's not a good defender. And he gives decent effort. I think I, I, I don't, he's not Trey young where he just like dies constantly, but he's also limited, right? Like he's not that big. He doesn't have a great wingspan. Um, it's, there's just limitations to what he can give you on defense. And I just think like you saw that also when those guys were out, which again, like your two and three players, those guys, the wings, they need to be able to shoot and they have to be able to defend and defend well enough where I think like you can ultimately, you know, quote unquote, hide Garland or put him on the weakest perimeter guy or however you want to phrase it. Um, like that, that's really what they need. And it'll be interesting to see how they go about it because I mean, I'm just looking at the roster right now. Like Stevens, Lamar Stevens is actually an interesting player. I kind of like him, but he's not a good shooter. Um, you know, Okoro is, we just talked about him. He's a really good defender, but he can't shoot for shit. Uh, and his usage is like, I mean, it's ridiculous. The guy shot, he averaged 6.4 shots per game in just under 30 minutes. Like, that's bananas. Um, and then you have, like, Chetty Osman. You have, like, a bunch of dudes who are not, like, I think Chetty Osman's good, but, like, he's Chetty Osman. You know what I mean? Like, there's just limitations to it. And the marketing thing is weird. Like, yeah, he played the three a bunch. I'm curious to get your thoughts. Like, is that something that you think works long-term? Because for me, it was just like watching them again. It really felt like marketing was another guy who his defense and like it got by when they had Mobley and Allen. But as soon as one of those guys were hurt, let alone both, um, you could see like, okay, this marking in a three, three thing is probably, it only works in a very specific circumstance. Yeah. So just to jump off on that last point, like I, I think marking in at the three was a decision they made kind of by luck. Like they didn't really have another option if they wanted to play the two bigs. Uh, and that was kind of, it just, it ended up being okay. When Levert came in, and this gets to the point about marketing, right? So let me back up for a second. I, I think, as you pointed out, Garland, Mobley, Allen are, I, I think, locked on starters. I know, it, me included, but there are people saying that in the future, the idea is Mobley kind of becomes the sole five. And maybe that is in the future, but I think we're a few years away from that at a minimum. And also, like, Allen is so good, he's kind of forced his way like why would you break that up you know what i mean and they play really well together too yeah um and so so i'm i think those three are locked in which means you really have two positions and they're more or less both your wing positions that can be filled by the player that's going to take you to the next level uh so i think marketing is not long term or even really next year going to be holding down one of those spots uh, the one, the player that's interesting to me, even more interesting than Sexton, is Levert. Because, like, when you just watch Levert after the trade, he did not look good. So but, I'm, I, but, I actually want to ask you about this because we've had um, 
Caitlin Cooper on the pod before, and she obviously watched a shit ton of Levert this year and last year too. Um, and what she said was like before the trade, Levert was very much in like kind of a fuck you, I'm getting mine mode. Um, like running pick and rolls constantly and just kind of like doing his own thing. Is that how he played when he was in Cleveland too? Where it was like, not maybe, I don't want to say selfish, but the way he plays is like very much built around his own usage and like what he can do with the ball in his hands. Yeah. So the thing that was going on Cavs Twitter that I thought was the best comparison is and I thought, like, it's not perfect because their skills are a little bit different, but was Amon Shumpert. Uh, and again, that he played for the Cavs, he played for the Knicks, but that's why Cavs Twitter, he's, like, the point of reference. Because if you look at Levert's, like, underlying numbers with the Cavs, they're fantastic, right? Like, Levert is part of the more or less the best lineups since the, after the trade. But, like, when you watch him, it just, like, he, he does not have the offensive awareness that you would need, like, especially once Mobley and Allen go down, right? And it's kind of like you have to score because without those two, you can't defend. And he did, like, there were some games he was great. And then there were some games he was just, like, it it, it didn't look like he was just trying to get his to get his. Like, it it felt like Sexton-y in the sense that he was getting his because it felt like for him the best way to help the team win. And I just don't think, and you know what? I mean, to a certain degree, the underlying stats are the underlying stats. Maybe my kind of what, maybe my eye test is wrong. And like, he really was great for us, but it just didn't, I, I don't know if that is more of a small sample size error and that long-term it's just not there. Yeah. I mean, I think, so, like, what I – there's, like, a few things going on with the Cavs offense, right? And I think this is where the two bigs thing is a little bit tricky. And, like, it's – like, look, Allen is 23, Mobley is 20, Garland is 22. It's not like you don't need to have it all figured out today, right? Um, but, like, I think where it gets a little bit tricky is Allen is a play finisher right now. Mobley, I think, has the potential to be a real offensive hub, like one of these, I don't want to say unicorn bigs because like they just say that about everybody now, but one of the rare big men that actually is a player you can run offense through and can eventually profile as a first or second option type of player, which is super rare for big guys in the NBA now, right? It's like of the big guys that profile like that, it's basically Embiid, Jokic, Cat. Is there another big guy that does that? I don't think so. No. Yeah, I, yeah no. I mean, like, the close next close. Bam, maybe. Aiden, but yeah. yeah, but, like, both Aiton and Bam are guys that, like, they play finishers. That, but they're not. They're right. Yeah. They, they, if they're, when those teams are at their best, they're play finishers. Yeah. And so what I was, like, what I think is tricky is you need those strong wings that can play off the ball, shoot, and defend but you like they also lacked shot creation, which is I think like this is where and we'll talk about Sexton a little bit later in, in more detail. But like this is where I think losing Sexton early in the year hurts you, and obviously the Rubio injury was a real killer. Where it's like because of those injuries, they had to start searching for like more ball handling and shot creation, 
And sometimes that leads you to make acquire imperfect fits. Because I think like if you if you gave, you know, um fuck, why can't I think of his name? Altman, Kobe Altman. If you gave him truth serum and you were like, is you know, is Karis Levert the the really the type of player that you would have ideally liked to acquire at the deadline, assuming the team was healthy. I don't think he, I think he would say no, but like they were in a position to make the playoffs and they needed some, they needed somebody desperately that could handle the ball and create a shot because they tried the Rondo thing. Rondo was terrible. Uh, he was so, yeah. he's like, like, I, I know he's been washed, but he's like, he's should really retire at this point. My, uh, my favorite was like Cavs Twitter. There's like a segment of it that, and like you love this as a fan, right? Because these people are just fans. And like, it was like playoff Rondo, baby. Like we just <laughs> got to trudge through towards the playoffs and then he'll come good. And um, that didn't work out. Yeah. And so like, I think that like they just needed somebody that could create a shot. And, you know, so they end up getting Levert for what was effectively a protected first and a second, right? I think that was the deal. Is that mm-hmm. correct? Yeah, and, and Rubio. Yeah, and Rubio. And Rubio wasn't going to play. Yeah, and he yeah, wasn't going to play. Was yeah. Right, so it didn't matter. And, like, I know they gave up a high second. They end up keeping the first this year, right? I think it's lottery protected again next year. Yep, yep. Um, it's 14th this year, so it just, which yeah. is perfect. Yeah, and so I think, like, I mean... It's really hard to judge that Levert deal because I get why they made it, even though it wasn't the right, it wasn't the perfect fit. I don't think they ever thought it was the perfect fit, but it was like, hey, look, we had the opportunity to get in the playoffs. We haven't done that since LeBron left. And really, we haven't, this is like the first year they've looked like a really capable, like a competent, capable team. They were really fun to watch when they were healthy this year, I thought. Um, And, I get that. So it's like, Levert is interesting. I don't think he's long for Cleveland. Even if they extend him, I don't think he's somebody who's going to stick around there long-term. Um, but like, we know how the league works now. We know that free agency is dead. We know that everything is about exchanging contracts and all that kind of shit. Levert, very clearly, whatever, I, I'm not a huge fan of Levert, but like, and I think he's, he's actually pretty polarizing player on Twitter because there are people that really like him and then there are people who are like look at his advanced stats he sucks he's not an efficient scorer and like I get that and I think there's that's like why I view him more as a sixth man microwave like he's like the type of guy who on aggregate is meh but he has games and stretches where he's like absolutely just scorching hot cooking dudes right like he has games where he just lights teams up and um you know i just think there will always be a market for him in trade maybe it won't be you won't be able to recoup exactly what you gave up but you will be able to move him you will be able to use him uh in an effort to reshape the roster and that's kind of okay like i I, the levert thing doesn't really bother me i know there i've seen like some Cavs fans that were like hated that trade and hated watching him and all that kind of shit. But like, I thought it was fine. I understood it. I had no problem with it. Uh, I thought it was one of those trades that was like, it made sense for both teams. Yeah. I, I liked the trade at the time, right? Because kind of you pointed this out. So this is the first point. 
there wasn't really much cost. Like I think, and and like I am so guilty of this as I spent a good portion of last week reading about potential players the Cavs could draft at fourteen. Um, like NBA fans overvalue draft picks pretty significantly, and it is the natural thing to do as a fan, right? Is just and like fourteenth is not a bad pick, but odds are odds are that whoever we're taking at 14 is not going to have a net positive impact for at least two more years. Uh, maybe that's wrong, but I think just like throughout NBA history, that seems to be kind of what you look at. But second, I think that Kobe Altman also, his entire career as Cavs GM, has been tasked with doing one thing above everything else, which is getting assets and flipping them for more assets. And I think that that is not the mode they want to be in right now. But given the situation they were in going into the trade deadline, it made a lot of sense, right? To be like, one last time, let's buy an asset and we'll flip them for more later. And I think that that's what the Levert deal was. I think they are going to keep them. Like, I I, I don't think they're going to let them go. And I think, like... I mean, Sexton to me is the one that is more of a question mark because, like, I don't know. I Sexton doesn't really have, like, any legs to stand on. And I think Kobe Altman's going to be a little bit strict kind of in negotiating that deal. And I think Sexton may just walk. Like, I, I think they may just not be able to agree. I mean, I think I think Sexton's gone. Like, I think he, yeah. he's one way or the other, he's leaving. Um. But yeah, so the, uh, the section thing is weird because I think he very clearly like the guy can score. He can score efficiently. He gets into the paint, you know, almost at will. Like he, there are things he does very well, and he's improved. I think as a scorer every year. Um, I feel like his playmaking has improved, even though. It's not ideal. Like he, he still is a, geared to be a scorer first, um, but like it's just a bad fit in Cleveland, especially because Garland, you know, he took the opportunity right to to run the show himself and um, and and be he was an all star. So it is what it is. But like it's the thing with him and Garland isn't going to work. They were terrible in the minutes he played this year, which again wasn't a lot, but it was also like kind of in line with what has been the case throughout his career in Cleveland. Um, even with Garland or without Garland, basically every lineup he's just been a negative. I don't know if that makes him a bad player. I just think it hasn't worked out in Cleveland for a variety of reasons for him. And, you know, this is where I'm really interested to see what Cleveland does because. You don't, you you can't let him walk for nothing. Um, you know, you've had him on the roster for four years. You developed him for three of those before he got hurt this year, obviously. He's an efficient, what did he score, like 24 points per game last year on yeah. 57 true shooting? Like, that's not, that's really good for a guard. Like, 57 true shooting for a guard is above league average. That's very, very good. Um the guy can score. He can do it efficiently. And he can score at all three levels, even if his three-point shooting, you kind of wish he would take more. 
Um, what? Like, but it, this is such a weird thing. And it's kind of interesting to see how, like, restricted free agency has changed in nature. Because back, I feel like a few years ago, it was always seen as, like, restricted free agency is totally tilted in the incumbent team's favor. And I think that that is the case if the incumbent team 100% wants to retain that player. But, like, when you get into a situation like this where, gun to their head, I don't think Cleveland wants to keep Sexton. But I also think they are probably acutely aware of, like, we need to use him as an asset to bolster our roster. And if he walks, that's a disaster. So, like, it's an interesting thing they have to manage because what if you ultimately have to agree to a contract because, you know what I mean? Like, are they going to get some, like, let's say Detroit comes in because Detroit's been rumored to be really interested in Sexton. What are you getting from Detroit? Are you going to try to get Jeremy Grant? I mean, that's possible. I actually think that would be I mean, Jeremy Grant's a name that, like, every Cavs beat writer is linking the Cavs to, so that actually would not surprise me. It, to me, the issue the Cavs are having is, like, if they keep him, then they have to wrestle with the fact that you are going to be playing a guy a lot of minutes that can't play with your best player. Uh, or assuming that best player is Garland, right? If Mobley kind of takes the next step, Brown takes the next step, like, that's different. But, and, and, I mean, you see this with the Warriors right now, right? Which is that, like, last night, Jordan Poole wasn't doing that great. And it, same with game one. And game one, he's better. But, like, they write Gary Payton uh, Jr., I guess, comes in and plays really well. And, like, the idea there is that, like the Warriors have all these guys that can play with Steph Curry, no matter what. And right, you throw different ones out there for different things, but they all work with the hub. And I, I mean, saying like Sexton's going to be the six man, well, okay. So how many minutes a game is your six man playing? Because if Garland's going to be playing thirty two to thirty five minutes a night then your six man's really not playing six man minutes. And so I think that that is going to be the problem the Cavs have is that like they will be forfeiting games early on in the season, playing those two together because it takes every defensive advantage they get from playing Allen and Mobley together and just gets rid of it. Like because Sexton, I mean, Garland isn't great defensively, but I think when Garland, like, has those two behind him, he plays pretty well. If you have Sexton, he can't be as aggressive, right? Like, he just can't because they're both going to get blown by too much. So, I I mean, yeah, like, I think Jeremy Grant would be interesting. I, I get, like, my fear with Grant is I just don't know it. And, like, Grant's such a good defender, too. Like, or in terms of, like, being a rather large dude. Um, but I don't know, man. Like, I, I just, I think Grant is the dream. I don't know if that is what Sexton actually gets you. Yeah, I think that's always the tricky part with these sign-in trades. Because who are you most likely to get? And, like... 
the, the restricted free agency, the difficulty of it is you're never, you're very unlikely to get anything close to even like 90% of what you're trading out. Like last year, I think Lonzo got moved for what, Sadaransky, fucking Temple, and. Right. And that was coming off a really good year, too. Yeah, and a second round pick. So it's like Sexton. I don't think I'm pretty confident he's not viewed as positively as um, as Lonzo was at that time, and I just wonder, like, what you know, what is ultimately like? What are you going to get back for him? And I know, like, there was a, a lot of reporting last year about the Knicks' interest in him. That seems to have cooled a lot. I haven't seen anything credible about interest in Sexton. Um, I imagine that they probably don't feel I mean, his market is so weird, right? Because he didn't play this year. So, like, all you have are what we know about Sexton are individually does a lot of things that are, like, extremely encouraging. But then all, literally all of it, you can go year by year and line ups and play with the on-off and you know, three-man units, four-man units, whatever. It's basically all negative with Colin right. on the court. And like, I, I I don't think that means that he's forever doomed to be a negative player. But there is definitely a kind of disconnect between how Colin views himself and what he is in the league and what caliber of player he is and what I think think is probably the ideal role for him. Like he is a guy who I would bet the the team that does acquire him and that does pay him his next contract is ultimately going to regret it. But the team that gets him after that or the team that pays him after this next deal expires, they will he'll probably be established at that point as like, okay, you're not a starter but you're an awesome sixth man bench scorer type dude. Um, and he will slot into that role and get a contract commensurate with like what that type of player is worth. And all of a sudden it will be viewed much more positively. And, and I think like this contract can be really interesting because I think he's going to get paid like a starter. He's going to get 15 million. I think he's going to get more, man. Like, yeah, I, I mean, he could like, I think 15 million we're talking like floor, like whether it's, from the Cavs or somebody else. Somebody give him 15. So what I saw was last week, I think Michael Scotto had one of the Cavs beat guys on. Um, I forget who it was. But they were talking about Sexton. And he said the floor is like, I think the Cavs would do something between 15 to 18 million. But Colin mm-hmm. wants something between 18 and 22. And that's kind of like, let's say if you use the average, so it'd be like, the Cavs will only do 16 and a half. Colin wants 20. There's a disconnect there. And can you bridge that? And like, I guess what the Cavs need to answer is this. Is it worth it? Like, let's say that they just kind of, you know, do their due diligence and realize that, hey, look, like whatever we get for Colin right now is just not up to the value we think he should net us as an asset. So why don't we just go ahead and pay him and then deal with this later? Like, I really would not want to do that if I were them. I think that... Yeah, like, 
I I agree. And this is not a great comparison just because of like, there's different differentiation value still, but like, it goes back to me to like an Andrew Wiggins problem, right? Like I know he's turned out pretty well for the Warriors, but like when the Warriors paid a crap load for D'Angelo Russell, that is not who they thought they would trade him for. Like, I guarantee you, like that's not what they thought. And I just don't like, my fear with Sexton is that they pay him a lot of money. Sexton, because of the nature of how he will be played, whether it's with the Cavs or with somebody else, right? Because, like, a team like Detroit, like, I think they may be all right next year. But, like, I, I don't think it's going to be because of Sexton, right? I think Sexton's probably going to be a negative player for them next year or wherever he goes. And if it's with the Cavs, it's going to be because you're playing him with Darius Garland. And, like, there's – Garland is very willing to share the ball, which is great when you're playing with Mobley and Allen, who are two guys also willing to share the ball. Less good with Sexton, who is – like, he has to be the primary everything when he's on the court. Like, he can be kind of a secondary scorer, but the primary playmaker. But he needs the ball. Otherwise, he's just not that good. And – I I just, that is a type of guy, I think, to your point, right? And like another Cav, like Jordan Clarkson is another good example of this, right? Where it takes him a few teams in a lot of years. And then like, he's, he'll settle in somewhere. But I think if you're the Cavs, I, like, I, I know, right? You don't want to, if you can help it, you don't want to lose him for nothing. But I think losing him for nothing may be the better bet than giving him a giant extension. Yeah, it's it's and it, exactly the point is like he's not like a wing that you could just well we we really don't think he's a long term piece but we can keep him and he fits okay like Colin's a good player but he fits terribly with with Garland and and to your point like if he's on the floor the only way to extract value from him is to like give it's it's to give him the ball a bunch. Right? Like, right, have give him the ball, let him cook, and all these kind of things. But that actively takes away from Garland. I think it also, more importantly, maybe even it takes away opportunities to give Mobley more on-ball reps um, and and see what he can do as more of a central part of the offense and, and not just a play finisher, but more of an offensive up. And is that really worth it just to like get a top fifty, like a the 16th pick in a draft versus the 13th pick. I mean, I don't even know what the difference is exactly, but you kind of get my point. It's like, is it really better to do that and have to deal with it for the marginal gain you might get in an asset return? And like, this is interesting. And here's the other thing. Mm -hmm. If the Cavs extend him, they're over the cap. Yeah. Yeah. Which they're not if they don't. And like, I think that's small, especially when you have Dan Gilbert. And also, but like, just given how nothing. shit free agency is now. Right, right. It's not nothing, <laughs> though. Like, I think there's still an element to the, that that is, that's like an immediate cost that you face right away. Right. And, and it's also like, generally speaking, you don't want to be in the business of hoarding. Like, you don't want to prioritize holding on to your asset just because you don't want it to, like, 
and I hate talking about players like this, but like, you know, ultimately we know front offices view players as assets. You don't want to let an asset walk out the door without getting anything in return. But like, I sometimes think that's the wrong way to view it. And yes, you drafted Colin Sexton eighth overall. You ideally don't want a lottery pick who has developed into a pretty talented scorer at the very least. You don't want that player to walk for nothing or for a minimal return. But what you also get if you don't give that, if if you let that player go, is simply to not have that player and that salary and not that headache on the books. And I think the Knicks, like the Knicks are actually in a pretty interesting position. I don't, it's not exactly the same, but it's like similar with Randall, where is Randall a good player? Yeah. Did he have a terrible season this past year? Absolutely. Um, does he fit long-term in New York? And ultimately, like, I don't think the best version of the Knicks, whenever they contend, I don't, you know, whether that's, what, two, three, four years down the line, whatever it is, I don't think it's going to, it's not going to have Randall on it. It's Randall's not going to be part of it. So are you better off just, like, moving him, even if it's for just some shitty expiring contract or something, like, is that better than holding on to him and hoping that he plays better next year and then you can eventually trade him for some type of positive return? Like, I just, I don't think that is really worth it at a certain point. Like, you come to inflection points in franchises, right? Like, directional inflection points where it's like you have to kind of make a move that reorients your team or leans into a specific direction. And I think with the Cavs, like, they found that direction last year when Colin went out. And to bring him back just to, like, you know, maximize your asset return down the line, you know, wh- why Why are you pulling off the highway, right? You, you just got back on the highway. You just filled up right. gas. You just got food. Everybody's, like, full now. You're ready to go for the next 300 miles. Why are you pulling off again? You don't need to pull off the highway again. Just get up, get 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 on the highway. Stay on the highway. Keep going. Like, sex. It's just what is the point? You know, like you've got three guys. Like, two of them are all stars this year, right? Yeah, you got two all stars. Yep. You got a third guy who's probably going to be an all star within two years. I, I would not be like I would bet that nobody's an all star in year three. And yeah. like, you don't need to sit around and maximize Colin Sexton's asset value. You know, like, if, like, I I don't think the Knicks would be interested in Colin Sexton, but just as, like, a very basic example, like, would, would the Knicks, like, if you can get, I don't know, Fournier for Sexton, like, is Fournier going to be part of the next competitive Cleveland Cavaliers team? No, but he gives you shooting. He's a wing-sized player. Like, he has some playoff experience. You know, like, in general... I would actually really like Barnier. Like, that deal, to me, would, like, is a Cavs fan, would be great. Like, I would be thrilled if that was the game plan. And it's it's not because... because, Then you get a guy that you can play. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not because Fournier is amazing. It's because Fournier actively, like, whatever you're trying to do on offense with Garland and Mobley and Allen, Fournier can slide into that context and like it's it 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 doesn't take away anything. 
will it affect your defense? Like, I don't know, man. I, I don't see how Fournier is any necessarily worse of a defender than Laurie Markkinen. Mark, he's not. No, there's yeah. no way he would be. I actually think Fournier like is a just standard like average ish. And I, like I didn't watch you guys a ton this year, but like just Fournier's always kind of just been an average ish defender. Yeah, uh, he he's like if he's your worst defender, you can be a good defensive team. Right, and to me, like Laurie Markin, and even this year was not right. Even Kevin Love was not. Uh, the the best defender they would have there is Okoro. And as we already talked about, like when Okoro plays, you're playing four on five <laughs> and, and on offense. And like it, the other thing to go to your Randall point too, I actually think Randall and Sexton, again, I, I didn't watch a ton of Knicks, but I watched a little bit. Like what Randall did this year to the fluidity of your offense when he played, because he is a very talented offensive player, Maybe you had a bad year, but very talented. Is that the amount of offensive sets you run when he is on the court is just less, right? You just have less because at the end of the day, he is going to shoot the ball a lot. Or he's at least going to be the guy with the ball in his hands. And I think Sexton's kind of the same in a very different way, right? Because Sexton is like a guard. But it ends up being the same idea. And, like, one of the things the Cavs did super well this year, and, again, like, Kelsey Russo's written about this, is JB was constantly changing the offensive sets all season long. And so they were just, like, constantly catching teams off guard. And when Sexton plays, you can't do that. Because at the end of the day, like, when Garland is your, like, okay, you've got to score and he has the ball, that can go one of... 12 different ways, right? And when it's Sexton, it's going more or less one way, one or two ways, right? Which is pull-up shot or he's just charging to the rim. And I think that that, if I'm a Cavs, like if I'm Kobe Altman, that is something I'm considering is that, like, if you keep Sexton, let's say, like, you can't get rid of him, right, for assets right away. But you keep him, you say, you know what, if he comes back and plays just as good as he did at the start of the season or last season or whenever, then we're going to be able to trade him for a mid-first round pick. That's at the risk of everything that made the Cavs the Cavs this year goes away. And, like, does he improve your offense? Yeah. Do I think he makes your defense a lot worse? Also, yeah. Would I rather have good offense and good defense? Yes, but like the reality of the Cavs right now is we have a really good defense, and you don't want to get rid of that if you have it. Are you ready for the NBA champs to be crowned? Join the finals action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make any $5 NBA bet and get $150 in free bets instantly. Looking to turn another small bet into a big payday during the NBA finals? With a DraftKings same-game parlay, you can do just that. This NBA season, a customer placed a $5 same-game parlay and won over $5,000. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, total threes made, total rebounds, and more. And boom, you have a shot at an even bigger payout. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. 
Make any $5 bet during the NBA Finals and get $150 in free bets instantly. That's promo code TBPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's why you don't need to reinvent the wheel, right? Like right. you have a construct that works. So now you just need to work on finding the pieces that fit in. And like, this is where it, so I think for Knicks fans, this is where, cause I've, I've heard a lot of people talk about this is like, especially recently where it's like, well, weary of the front office they haven't really done much. The contracts they gave out haven't been good. Other side, like the drafting has been good. But other than that, what have they really done? And I guess like where what I don't really get about that is like aside from tanking the first year they took over, which like yeah, look, could can you argue that would have been a more optimal path to follow? Sure. And I I'm not even gonna like, we can argue that constantly but like sure maybe that's a more optimal way they but they didn't do that okay so if we if we take that and we say okay i'm going to judge them now based on the path they took which has involved like hey look let's try to build out our salary cap structure with these contracts and we're going to try to be good we're not trying to tank and all this kind of shit like other than tanking there was no path that after two years was going to yield some, like, contending team. Just given what they had to work with when they came in, they basically had a blank cap sheet. They had R.J. Barrett after a rookie year. They had Mitchell Robinson after his second year in the league. They had Frank and Knox, who obviously, like, Frank has was a rotation player for Dallas. Kudos to him. And Knox is going to be in China very soon. Um, like, it's just what it is. They didn't have anything. With supply else. chains, though, man, I don't know. Maybe China's <laughs> going to embargo NBA players. It's true, um, but like there, there is, there was no other young talent on the roster that they took over, right? And they had the eighth pick, which they use on Obi Toppin. They take quickly with the twenty fifth pick, which came from a trade they made uh, with doubt with sorry with the Clippers, where they gave them Marcus Morris. They get quickly like. Then this year, like they draft Grimes, they draft Deuce McBride, they trade for Cam Reddish. Like, so this is like the young talent they've added, and I don't want to sit here and talk about what I think about each of them. Right, the point being is that these are the young pieces they've added. They add some veterans, right? They signed Burks last year, they bring him back. They signed Noel last year, they bring him back. They acquire Rose at a very minimal cost, Dennis Smith Jr. in a second round pick. Um, they they bring him back this year. They. Uh, so they they bring in Fournier, they bring in they take the shot on Kemba, and they extend Julius Randle. Uh, like I, I don't know. Like I to me, it's like the, the is this perfect? No, obviously not. And and it, obviously they they are like every the, the hardest thing I think in the NBA is to take those gradual steps. And actually a good example of this would be a team like Boston, who I think both of us after last year, we were like, man, they are so fucked. How are they going to like do anything? And sometimes it's like, 
the path for you is just to keep your roster together because you have young guys and see how it plays out. And I think they've made some interesting moves in the margins, which I've talked about on a lot of pods recently, but like the Horford deal was great for them. Um, then they get Derek White at the deadline. Like those are two, even Tice, like those three kind of margin moves are really, really good. But the yeah. main the main development has just been like Tatum taking the leap, Brown establishing himself as an all-star, uh, Grant Williams takes a leap, Peyton Pritchard has taken a little bit of a leap, Smart is smart. Like it, it's just staying the course. And I think like with the Knicks, they're in a weird in-between phase where it's like, okay, we're not tanking. And we don't have a star yet that we've developed on the roster. But, like, if you look at how they've structured their contracts and all that stuff, this summer and into the next trade deadline are were very clearly targeted as, like, a critical stage of your roster construction and team building because you have all of these expiring contracts – you have picks that you've amassed. Like, you need to consolidate talent now because of the talent base you've accumulated via draft and free agency and trades. So, like, this is just, to me, a very weird in-between phase they've set themselves up for. But, like, I'm not... Like, <laughs> team building is just, like, it's not linear and it's also not always clear what the path is. Like it's sometimes you have to just kind of like get into an uncomfortable zone and kind of weed through it and, and see what comes out on the other end. Like that's not to like praise the Knicks front office, but it's more like I think we have this tendency, not we, I don't and I don't want to sound like a preaching to people either, but like there is this idea of like okay well they went 41 and 31 last year so they need to maintain that or they need to improve and if they don't do those things then this is bad and they need and they need to make significant changes to like get us back on track and i do think the Knicks need to make significant changes but i feel like they were always going to make significant changes at this point in time and it's just hard to see that when you're stuck in like a season that was really miserable in a lot of ways due to a variety of factors. Um, and I, I think Cleveland was kind of in that place before this season. And then, you know, all of a sudden Sexton gets hurt and the team booms after like, for like 35 games. And you're like, okay, well now actually we're back on track and we know exactly what we're doing. Like it's not clear all the time, even for front offices and fans who live you know, with the team day by day, but like, it's not always clear. And I just think you need to give it a little patience when there's already reasons to be optimistic with the talent that's been put in place. I don't know if any of that made sense. Yeah. 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 I think just to like hop on your Celtics point, the interesting thing about the Celtics that I think gave them confidence to stay course goes all the way back to the first year they had Kyrie Irving, right? And they they make the playoffs, Kyrie's hurt, and then they go on a miracle run where, frankly, they should have beaten the Cavs in that seven-game series, but they don't. They lose because LeBron is LeBron, and Jeff Green had the game of a lifetime. (laughs) Um, 
and, and and they lose. And then the year after that, right? Like I remember start of the year, people were like, and like I even said this was possible. Like Kyrie comes back, that team may win it all this year. Like, and they didn't, right? Everybody kind of took a step back, and except for Kyrie, who just stayed at like his normal dickhead level throughout the entirety <laughs> of that season. And then, but then they have the Kemba year, right? The first Kemba year where they look great again, and and just. Over time, what happened is Boston just, like, established a baseline level where they kind of decided, you know what, like, this baseline level is good enough for us. And if Tatum and Brown improve, we will be able to become, like, well, given the strength of the East, like, where they're strong, where they're weak, if Tatum and Brown improve, we can make it to the finals, and then who knows what can happen. Um I think the Heat this year were actually another example of that, where, like, when they, right, they make the finals and get just, like, ass-whooped by the Lakers. And, yeah, they make a lot of changes over the last few years. But, like, the core of that team stayed together. And I know, like, it didn't work out this year. But, I mean, like, for me, like, that is the sign of a team where it's like, okay, we know we're good and we can stay course. I think what kind of happened to the Knicks this year and what I think is, legitimately plausible that can happen to the Cavs next year is the factors that went their way the year before just don't go their way. And to me, that is when as a team, like as a general construct, you really need to show how much you believe in what you have, right? If the Cavs really believe in this core and they, let's say, lose in the play-ins again next year or don't even make the play-in, then figure out what it takes to keep this core together. Uh, and I think, like, you guys are in a little bit of a different situation because it seems like some of your young guys that really just were not as good last year look really good this year. And then the guys that were really good last year did not look good at all this year. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.